Good morning, Northbrook. My name is Jeremy, and this is Sarah. Sarah and I will be reading the scripture for us today. Sarah will be reading in German, and I'll be translating in English. Today's passage is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. That's 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Grüße aki frühes, sieht jene Mana in Jedun, dort Sonne dein noch nicht Gott sein, wort harchen bauen, ohne fehl zu sein, kennen jewan worn. Wann sie erde frühes erde rennen aufstehen wollen sein. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Wann sei er frühes er den Rennen aufstehen wollen sein, lud den Schmack nicht dorthin sein, dort gehen nicht Strom und Regen in die Hohflächen in Gold umhängen. Lud den Schmack läuft und stehen, läuft zu ihr erst im Halt in Hort sein. Dorthin hat Gott den Grauten gefallen. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Dort as vomatzik ye halye frie frie stronden, den ere hupnunk ab God zaten, and vorn ere mana ingedun, zara ye hart ere Abraham un nant am had. And van ye dort uxa down, dan zant ye uk dachta ye warden, un dort vot reicht as. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. This is the word of the Lord. So if that is new to you, so one of the things we do is, I think we do it probably once a month or so, is we like to read uh, the scripture text uh, for the sermon in a different language. And partly that's just to celebrate the diversity of God's people. Um, and yeah, that's that. And I did think how timely it was that when we're preaching on submission, that we do it in German, just like a stronger language that, I'm just joking. There was literally no... Um, Here's, here's a, uh, another thing about that. I'm, I'm okay with it. I don't, you know, I'm fine that I just said that, um, uh, y'all. But uh, the, uh, so we just preach through books of the Bible. Y'all, y'all know that. If you've been here, if you're a guest, that's what we do here. We take a book of the Bible for the most part, and we preach through it. And then when we come to a text like the one we have today, um, you know, historically, different times, different seasons, different cultures, they would struggle with a different text, whatever it might be. But in our culture, in our time, this is one of those texts that when you read or when you hear it or when you come to it or when you come to it in the, the Bible, it's one of those ones that's like, okay, what, what is this? What's going on here? Uh, what does this mean? And so as, as the preacher, one of the things uh, I, you know, when, when you come to these kinds of texts, there's just but to be honest with you, there's a little bit more pressure. There's a little bit, okay, there's a lot of cultural sensitivities or you want to speak to them well. Uh, obviously, you don't want to apologize or, or do anything. Uh, you want to present God's word and, and what he says well, and you want to do both of those things as good as you can. So typically on these weeks, to be honest with you, for me, that just means a lot more reading. I, I try to read, I try to study uh, from all kinds of different angles. Um, and even that, as I was doing that this week, uh, kind of that simple hope and desire of, Man, man, God, would you just use your word to serve your people? Like th this is God's word and it's good. It's good for you. Uh, it's good for me. Uh, and again, maybe this is a, a time where this, you hear this word and, and you're not really sure what to think about it. Um, but hopefully, you know something about who God is um, and, and you can trust him and you can trust that he has good for you uh, in uh, this word, which which he does. And so that's what, you know, if we, if we didn't preach through books of the Bible, not just because we wanted to ignore things, we just probably would. And so that's one of the fruits of just going through books of the Bible. And so you can't ignore, we want the whole counsel of God's word to serve all of uh, his people. And so uh, here we are with this one. And so as this is obviously a, uh, a word to 
Um, I mean, there's much for everybody, whether you're a kid, whether you're single, uh, but it's mostly directed to uh, husbands and wives. And so I want to uh, offer an obligatory statement to single people. Um, and uh, that's what you do when you preach on marriage. You're like, oh, wait, there's single people. We got to talk to them for a minute. Um, and here's the do. I, I, I do want to uh, acknowledge that uh, and say a couple things. One, many of you desire to get married, and I want to encourage you that that is a good desire. The Bible would affirm that that is a good desire to desire uh, to get married. But I also want to say true faithfulness to Jesus does not start when you get married. Uh, it doesn't. There's a long list of faithful men and women that never married and gave their lives for the sake of Christ. Obviously, uh, the Apostle Paul, probably the most notable one. Um, I think about even uh, two pastors I really benefit from, John Stott, a, a British pastor that passed away, was a single guy his whole life, has written so many things that are super helpful. Richard Baxter, he wrote a book that um, the pastors are going through uh, called uh, about called the reformed pastor really helpful he actually did get married but it was once he retired i don't know how that worked out but that's what he did but during, he, he ministered during his whole uh single life um and then I, i'm sam albury i'm going to quote him he he wrote this book called i think it's the seven myths of singleness or something like that but it has a so such a helpful quote he says we see marriage as a sign of having come of age spiritually it's a form of graduation from a more elementary form of Christianity to a more mature form. It is, we so easily assume, a sign that someone has started to take proper responsibility in life. This is not to deny that there are many in our churches that are deliberately avoiding marriage out of some form of laziness or fear of commitment. But it is to deny that this is the only reason that someone might be remaining single long term. And it is worth saying that I know men who have married out of a form of laziness and fear of commitment, thinking that a wife will take care of them and facilitate a lifestyle of ongoing adolescence. Our problem is not actually with single pastors. He's talking about that in particular here. Uh, our problem is with singleness itself, which I would suggest is, a, is itself a sign that we've not paid close attention, close enough attention to what the New Testament has to say on the matter. And then listen, this is actually a separate quote, uh, but he goes on to say this. It's just such a good line. If marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, which Ephesians 5 would tell us that, it does that, singleness shows us its sufficiency. Uh, that, that there is a sweetness and a reality to learn about who Jesus is and what he's done that we do get in singleness. Um, and too often the church, uh, the church can just be awkward for, for single people. It just really can uh, and that's a unhelpful, that's a, that's a bad thing. That's not a good characteristic of the church um, that we've, we, we buy into these lies that um, life really happens when people get married. Again, not to minimize the desire to get married. That is, that is a good thing. But then as we think about today and as we think about whether you're single or not, there, there's just all kinds of funny things that we do as we pursue relationships, as we pursue uh, marriage. We do some uh, really interesting things while dating. And, and I think about, even for me, I think one of the commonality, at least for guys in my, you know, income status when I was single, like most of what guys do is just spend their time spending all of their money and going broke while they're dating their, uh, while they're dating. That's what, that's, that's what I did. I'm, one of the things I was looking forward to in getting married was like Ginger was gonna start paying for stuff. And I was so excited about that. Um, so there was lots of other things I look forward to. Uh, but I went into marriage pretty broke. Uh, you know, that wasn't all her fault. But that's one of the things I've heard that many a times, that guys, you know, maybe you came from a little more money than I did. Uh, but th there wasn't much to go around, and I was not very wise with it. So, uh, and then I think even the, the women, like, they're, you know, looking for that Mr. Darcy, if you're familiar with Pride and Prejudice, the, <laughs> the kind of the guy that, that really doesn't like you much at first, you know, he's kind of aloof and kind of dark and handsome and all of those things. Uh, he doesn't like you too much, but then he likes you a whole lot just at the right time. Um, and you're looking for that balance in uh, dating as you give, you know, just the right amount of attention to him, but also, you know, you know, don't want to be easy to get. And there's just that, those weird things that we kind of do as we seek out uh, spouses and date one another. Some of you actually had a checklist. Some of you like wrote down in a journal checklist of things that you wanted in your spouse and you would use it as you dated people. And I kind of think that's not a good idea, just in case you're curious. Uh, it's good to have goals, good to have desires. The Bible talks about the kind of people we should marry, but 
Um, that, that checklist just don't go well. Uh, so we do things like that. And then for many of us, obviously, we've passed through the gauntlet of dating and gotten married. Um, and this is when the fun really starts. And I don't mean just that kind of fun. Uh, but like, I mean, like the fun of uh, like when our idealism starts to get crushed. Uh, like we have this ideal of what marriage is going to be like. And then some of us, this is like a slow burn, like it just goes away a little bit after a time. And then some of us, like our idealism, like in the week one, we're like, what in the world has just happened? Uh, what have I gotten into? Like you, you, especially if you've gotten married a little later in life, you had all of these habits that aren't even bad, but that you just do that are part of your life. And then all of a sudden you're married and half of those habits annoy your spouse. Um, and it's not really easy to change those kinds of habits. Um, for some reason, most men are incapable of putting dishes from the sink into the dishwasher. Um, and I, tend, I happen to be one of those men. Um, and that's a habit that is really not encouraging to my wife. Um, and I have seemed to pass that habit on to my kids, unfortunately. Um, and so it's multiplied. Um, but we have habits uh, like that that, uh, again, we, we come into marriage and realize these things. I think for those of you who have gotten married younger, uh, these are just generalities, obviously, uh, but when, when I've uh, talked to couples that have gotten married younger, one of the things that uh, they don't realize is how immature they are when they got married. But here's what they do realize. They realize how immature their spouse is uh, when they got married, and, but they don't realize how immature they are, and uh, so you can see how that goes, and you end up kind of trying to grow up together, and, and that can be hard. Um, and then, man, for some of us, kids come into the mix. My goodness, like the most selfish, needy human beings that exist. And luckily, they're incredibly adorable and uh, all of those things as well. And then humanity has been doing this thing over and over again since the beginning of time. Uh, this, this crazy, radical, uh, ordinary uh, idea of marriage and family and all uh, all that comes with that. And the text we come to today obviously speaks to this relationship of marriage between a husband and a wife. And so all of that to, to say, even as we think about the scriptures, marriage is a really big deal in the Bible. I, I don't know if you've ever heard this or thought about this, but the Bible actually begins and ends with a marriage. Um, I'll, I'll read it for you. Genesis 2, 21 through 25. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a, a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and we're not ashamed. So there's the beginning and then the end in Revelation 19, 6 through 9. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sounds of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And so in between those two bookends, we see God work through marriages and families throughout the Old Testament. And we see Jesus and Paul and Peter speak about marriage in the New Testament. So as ordinary as marriage might be, it is profoundly important to God. We, we, we can't overstate it. And as I mentioned last week, Peter is, in this little passage in 1 Peter, he's focusing on what the Greeks and the Romans called these household codes. And part of ancient household codes specifically stated that 
wives should adopt the gods of their husband. And so there's all kinds of different gods to choose from, and they might have worshipped different uh, gods in the Roman or Greek cultures. And so if, uh, when a wife left her family, uh, she was to turn from whatever god they were worshipping and, and start to, to worship the god of her husband. And so that was uh, written into the, the household codes of the time. So you could imagine as uh, Christianity is birthed and comes onto the scene in this culture, there can be this struggle. Now, the wife has become a Christian. Uh, the husband's not a Christian. And so you can imagine the conflict that could, that could cause uh, within the marriage as now she's worshiping uh, this different God and even the shame that that could bring onto them uh, from outside perception of the culture uh, looking in on them. And so that's kind of the context and what Peter specifically is speaking into. That's why he has a little bit of a, a different nuance to, to some of the other scriptures that speak to uh, marriage in a similar way because he's address, addressing that a reality in uh, particular. Um, so with that in mind, here's kind of the main idea of the text. Uh, and we're actually going to get to verse 7 in a few weeks and deal with uh, and talk about husbands. So today we're just going to talk about wives. But in the main idea, I'm going to include both. Uh, husbands and wives should humbly embrace their God-given role in marriage. Straightforward. It's just the main idea of the text. That Husbands and wives should humbly embrace their God-given roles uh, in marriage. And here's kind of like a subtitle, if you will. This is hard. So we should humbly embrace our God-given roles in marriage, and it's hard. It's not an easy thing to do. There's a reason the scriptures continue to exhort us towards it, um, because it's not easy. And so let's just look at the kind of that, um, what can be kind of that harder aspect of this to, to come to grips with there in verse 1 just those, that first exhortation. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So likewise, it's kind of tying it to that passage he had just mentioned that slaves should submit to their masters. If you have questions about that, uh, you can podcast that from last week. So he's saying in a similar way, not the, not the exact same way, but in a similar way, wives are to submit to their husbands. And, and just to kind of show that this is not some obscure text that, that Peter just, you know, is ranting on, I just want to kind of let us come to grips with all the places that the, the New Testament kind of says a very similar thing, and, the, and then we'll talk about it. So just stick with me. Uh, let's listen to these all come from Paul and different epistles. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11.3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Ephesians 5, through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Colossians three eighteen, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And then Paul and Titus is, is giving uh, instructions to older women, teaching younger women. And it says in verse 5, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Okay, I wanted to just kind of help us come to grips with and hear the word of the Lord in such a way that like, we have a response to that. Like when we hear those words, when we hear God's word exhorting us in that way, there's, there's some kind of response that's uh, evoked in us. And here's, here's what's present in that response. L lots of things. Like, like our history, how, how we've grown up, how, how we've seen these very verses either uh, lived out or abused or modeled or ridiculed. Like none of us come in here void of those things. We all have those things in our mind as we come uh, to God's word. And it's good for us to acknowledge what might be happening. Uh, there might be confusion. There might be curiosity. There might be uh, a desire to just disregard them or not mess with them. There might even be that, man, I've been married for many years, and what, is this, what does this really mean for me? I, I'm still not really sure what this is calling and asking me to do or my husband to do. And so I think it's helpful to kind of get some common reasons why we misunderstand sub submission out there, some common uh, misunderstandings about it. Uh, one of the, I think one of the main ones is, I, so I've done a decent amount of marriage counseling through the different churches I've uh, been at. And I have seen every one of these verses used in evil, abusive ways. Um, I, I've seen by husbands. I've never seen a wife do that. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I've seen husbands take these verses 
and use them for their own selfish gain, for their own selfish reason. And, and, and there's no way that if you've experienced that, there's no way that if you've experienced, a, you were brought up in a house where you experienced that, or maybe even you just have a friend where they have experienced that. that I mean, it, it should impact you. It should affect you that that has happened. Um, and, and, and that is going to, but what can happen there is we can start to take uh, a response to what should be on a person that has abused and twisted the scripture for their own selfish gain, and we put that response onto the scriptures themselves. Um, and, and we have to be mindful of that. Like God's word is good, and it's good for you, and it's good for us. And as, as simple men, we, we do all kinds of evil things with the scriptures, as we've seen throughout the ages. Uh, but, but we have to be able to discern the difference between those two. Um, and, and to be honest with you, it's not always easy because people are really good at manipulating. Um, and so it can be confusing uh, and hard at times. Uh, but, but we should uh, at least acknowledge that if that's one of the responses uh, we kind of have. And then I think one of the other things that leads to misunderstanding this is when we rush to fill, into, fill in the gaps of what the scriptures don't provide. Uh, I love what uh, Karen Job, she's uh, one of the better commentators on 1 Peter, uh, and she says this, talking about Peter, he instructs her simply to submit to her own husband's wishes. Depending on individual proclivities, the result may or may not have been the same as the expectations of society at large. So it may have been different. It is an important point that Peter leaves the specifics of this matter strictly between the husbands and the wives. And so I say that because even if you think about all the, the passages I just read, none of them go into specifics. There, there are really no specifics mentioned of how this actually works out in, in the midst of a marriage. Now, it is, we can't dismiss it because of that. It is saying something. We're, they're, they're, the husband's called to lead. The, the wife's called to submit. But how this actually works out is, is, is different. And what we do is we fill in those gaps. What, what we love as people is, is we love law. Like, we love to clear, clarify what's clear. Well, we love and hate law. Here's what we, because we, 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 we hate it because even the one we make for ourselves, we don't do good at keeping. Like, just whatever New Year's resolution you're about to do is the example. Um, so even, even the, the laws we make for ourselves, we struggle to keep. But what they do is they clarify. They give us something clear to do. They're like, okay, I'm not sure this is general. What does this actually mean? And then we make a law. And that's, that's what gets really unhelpful, especially in this area. When, when we start to draw hard lines uh, for everybody uh, that the Scripture does not draw. So we should love to draw hard lines where the Scripture draws them and, and celebrate them and, and trust that they are good for every one of us. Uh, but when the Scripture doesn't clarify and bring into specifics, then neither, neither should we. Uh, we should trust that uh, it is working out, that, that uh, the Lord will lead us to work it out as makes sense for uh, our family. Um, so, uh, be careful about doing that. Um, and I think about, even as we think about, like, what, because uh, what happens is, you know, culturally, this just looks different culturally. Like, how a husband and wife would submit to another, one another in Asia Minor in the first century would look one way. Even if you think of today, how uh, a husband and wife would lead and submit to one another in a very affluent, kind of rich context that we are all a part of versus a third world country, it's going to look drastically different, and it should. Um, and so we need to be careful that we apply the principles. The principles are always good and godly and can be applied across the board. When those specifics can't be applied, that means we're probably drawing a line where the scriptures have not uh, drawn one. And so that can, uh, and so again, that, that mud, muddies into uh, submission because we think it looks this way when we're actually trying to apply some cultural standard that really isn't the scripture has not uh, applied to us. Uh, another thing that submission does not mean, uh, doesn't always mean agreeing with your husband. Obviously, even the thrust of this passage is that the wife disagrees with the husband about who God is, and they want their husband to come and believe the God who is. Uh, and just, in, yeah, the, the, this, the idea of submitting is not the idea of wives always agreeing uh, with their husbands. In circles where it is implied that submission means not disagreeing and the obedience of wives is more equated to that of children, dysfunction abounds. It's not good. The reality is I can be quite an idiot, uh, quite ignorant, quite impulsive, and God, by his grace, has given me a wife that can really serve me well in those areas. 
uh, and, and it's part of her role of submitting to my leadership is to serve me and not forsake those, uh, those realities. Um, I, there was one example of this. I think I maybe have used this before, but when I was a pastor at another church here, uh, I was, this was probably 10 years ago now. We were just talking about this the other day. And uh, I, I, was got, I was in like the, I was kind of one of the leading candidates to become a lead pastor at this one uh, church in Las Colinas. And the process just moved really quickly. And we lived here for a long time and, and, and felt pretty ingrained, but there's just opportunity came up and it started to move really quickly. And uh, I started to kind of be drawn to it. And, and Ginger was just not on board at all uh, from the very beginning. Um, and uh, one of the questions she asked me, she was like, hey, have you ever been to Las Colinas, like where this church is? No, I've never done that, um, but it's probably fine. <laughs> you know, it's a good place, uh, I'm sure. There's people there. Uh, and then, so, you know, that's about how the conversation was going at that point. Uh, but we were doing something else, and so we actually drove through Las Colinas, and like as soon as I was there, I was like, I do not want to be here. I do not want to live here. I do not want to plant a church here. I do not. And so I withdrew from the process. And so that, and Ginger will confess that, okay, the way she went about telling me that, there could have been a much godlier way to do that. But the reality is she was right, and, and I was wrong. It was a very clear example of that, and uh, I needed her help uh, in that way. Uh, to help me see, you know, a simple thing like, okay, you should probably at least visit the place you might be thinking of leading a church at. Um, and that's one of the ways that, so again, submission does not mean always agreeing uh, with your husband. And then here, two more, and then we'll kind of get into what submission is. All of marriage, uh, the, the, another kind of misconception is all of marriage is about leadership and submission. Uh, The reality is there are a lot of things the Bible has to say about relationships that apply to husband and wives that have nothing to do uh, necessarily with leadership and submission. Uh, Sometimes when a marriage is struggling, uh, if you're talking to you might run to, well, how's leadership and submission going? And that might be something that's going on and you might need to talk about that. That could be an issue, but there also could just be unforgiveness. There could be a lack of gentleness or there could be a lack of kindness or there could be suffering or hurt that's going on or just a long list of a, a gajillion things that happen in marriage and that we struggle with. And so sometimes I think even as churches, we over focus on leadership and submission. We should focus on here. Here we are talking about it. We, we should talk about it, but there's so many things that the Bible calls us to, like all the things of Colossians 3 that, that, that Paul is talking about how we deal with relationships in one another, the things we should put off and the things we should put on uh, apply to how we should interact as husbands uh, and wives. And so not all of marriage uh, is about leadership and submission. I think in our marriage, I do a decent job of leading. Ginger does submit to my leadership but we spend very little time talking about leadership and submission. And I think that's kind of healthy. Um, you can press against that, but I just think we can kind of have this over-focus on leadership and submission in an unhealthy way. Um, and then last misconception. When leadership and submission are working, everything will go perfect in your marriage. Um, obviously, sometimes I'm leading well and Ginger's struggling to submit. Sometimes she's submitting and I'm not leading well. And on occasion, by God's grace, they both line up. But even when they both line up, we might be experiencing incredible struggle and difficulty in life. Um, Sometimes I think we have kind of the prosperity gospel view when it comes to marriage. Um, If I'm loving her like Christ loved the church and she's submitting to me like the church submits to Christ, then every bad thing in life will go away. Uh, and, And that just isn't true. Uh, Again, we just need to look at the life of Christ uh, to see an example. Uh, He was, he suffered, and to this we are also called uh, to suffer as well. But sometimes I think our desire to figure out leadership and submission is more about our own comfort. Like, oh, we'll have a more comfortable marriage, and that'll be great, Um, as opposed to who God is and what he has called us to. Um, Okay, so what is submission? Uh, It's, I mean, it's straightforward. Submission is following your husband's leadership. Simple definition of submission, following your husband's leadership. If we want to breathe a little bit more scripture uh, ideas into it, we could say something like submission is looking to Christ and for his sake, willingly, wisely, and joyfully following your husband's leadership. Uh, That's the idea that submission is after in 
the, the New Testament. I, I don't think I have this. I'll, I'll just say this. If you're just curious about the, like if you look up the Greek word submit and you look at it in the New Testament and you look at it in every other Greek writing that is available from this area, it always means the same thing, to submit to the authority that's ahead of you. And so there, there's really not a whole lot of like, oh, well, what does this word actually mean? Even sometimes in uh, 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 Ephesians 5, 21, it says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then it goes on to kind of give these examples like Peter is, is talking about here. But even that, it's, it's not, because sometimes we misinterpret that verse and think, oh, submit to one another. That means we're just supposed to serve one another and like considers other needs is more important than our, than our own and submit to each other in that way. And the Bible talks about that. That's humility. But what Ephesians 5.21 is talking about is submit to one another. When you're in, someone's in authority over you, you should submit to them. That's, that's what it's talking about. And then it goes on to give some examples. Um, and, so, and that's what it's talking about here as well, is uh, wives following their husband's leadership. Um, and I, just to say real quick aside, the Bible is talking about husband and wives. It's not talking about all women submitting to all men. That, that's, that's ridiculous, and that's a, a lie that may be propagated as well, but it's talking about husbands and wives, not women and uh, men. But the reality is submission will never flow from begrudging willingness. That, that's just not submission. Uh, and it won't flow from a husband leading perfectly. That's what uh, those verses kind of continue to reiterate. It's not like, oh, I can, I can grin up and, and do this thing, or I'll finally start doing this thing when he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. But that's just not how the scriptures talk about it. But, but Peter does give us kind of the three, you know, aspects of where this submission can flow from. Uh, and one is internal beauty. Look at, at verse three and four. He says, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of, gen- of, a, sorry, of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Uh, th- this word here, adorn, uh, the, the Greek word is cosmos, which uh, eventually we get the word cosmetics from. Um, and and it's, it's important to realize the difference between first century and now. Uh, cosmetics and the way that they would do these things uh, communicated very clear ungodly things. Um, and so it's not the same way that cosmetics is used now. Um, well, necessarily. Uh, but it was, a very, it was a very clear way, of, Peter is saying, that your inner beauty should be the focus. And it actually should align with your outward beauty. What you're saying outwardly should align with what's going on uh, in your heart. Uh, speaking of the cosmetic piece, uh, Juan Sanchez in his Bible study on First Peter, he says this. He says, the United States is number one in cosmetic spending, yet number 23 in the world's satisfaction with life ranking. Japan is second in cosmetic spending and 90th in satisfaction with life. According to Stewart's article called Americans spend billions on beauty products, but are not very happy. Um, and I, I want to take a second just to encourage you, uh, like the women I know at Northbrook, you are beautiful inside and out. Uh, I, I say that just very genuinely. Uh, like I, I see the lives you live. I see the conversations you have. I see your desire to know and love Jesus and your desire to walk with one another as you know and seek and pursue uh, Jesus. And so you should be and feel encouraged in that way. And if you feel like you're on the outside of that and you're like, man, I want to be involved and, and, and be discipled or disciple and disciple relationship with, with somebody like that, then reach out to me. I'd love to connect you. We have women here that would love to walk with you in those things. But you really should be, sometimes we can focus on what's wrong, but we should also see, man, what's right? And the Holy Spirit, by his kindness, has moved in, in your hearts and lives in such a way that it's evident that, that this is taking place. And that is a, a good uh, and beautiful thing. And again, what Peter is pressing against here is, is hypocrisy. Um, and, and I think about if I am on a press against moms in, in some ways, um, I think about this. I just think about the example of how many times, perhaps, hypothetical, have you yelled at your kids as you're trying to take a picture of a perfect, happy family? Um, or, or how many times maybe have you uh, 
you know, try to curate your social media in such a way that neglects the very pictures of the people you're putting in your social media feed. Uh, that you're, you're over-focusing on the outward expression uh, of your family. And even if it, social media is an easy target, and it's a good one. We should actually consider uh, those things. But even if you're not on social media, uh, how often are you trying to present your family in a particular way to a particular group of people more than actually just focusing on your family um, and, and just caring for them where they're at and what's going on with them? Uh, I, I think this is... Uh, Something we struggle with as, as, as husbands and wives, as moms and dads, is um, I think so, so often we view our family, and maybe it's, our, it's a struggle our husband has or a struggle our, our, sp- our wife has, and we view it as an impediment to our success. Like this is getting in the way of me thriving, as opposed to God has given me gifts and abilities and strengths and weaknesses to actually press into this thing. It's not getting in my way. It's the thing I actually need to focus on. It's the thing that God has put in front of me. Um, and so uh, when we, uh, as wives, I'm not a wife, what I'm not, it's you as wives, how, how, you know. Um, when you as wives get distracted uh, by focusing on those things to the neglect of uh, what God has actually put in front of you, uh, that's what he's getting at here. You're focusing on outward appearance, not the inner beauty uh, that, well, what is God concerned with? You see there, with the heart, the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. It, it reminds me of Proverbs 31.30. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is, in, beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Uh, that's what Peter is exhorting. And that's where submission can come from, is this inner uh, life, not this outward um, appearance. Uh, submission flows from hope in God. Look in verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own hub- husbands as Sarah obra- obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And now if, if you know your Bible, you might think this is a funny example because Sarah and Abraham are not the ideal couple. Um, uh, yeah, there's just all kinds of bad things that go on there. They, they lie a lot. They, they, Sarah laughs at God's uh, prophecy to uh, her. Uh, Abraham is doing all kinds of shady things. Uh, Sarah tries to shortcut God's plan of redemption. Um, there, there's just a lot that is going on uh, there. But highlighting her good moment, Peter uses her as an example of hoping in God. And this hope was the beginning of God's redeeming purposes in the world, as uh, we see throughout Genesis and the rest of the Old Testament. Um, even their sinfulness and flaws are a model because we realize we can submit to, you can submit to your husband despite their flaws because your hope isn't in their perfection. Uh, you, you, their, your hope is in God. Uh, again, if you're, you're submitting to your husband because your hope is in them, that is a losing battle for everybody. Uh, but when you submit to your husband and follow his leadership because you put your hope in God, uh, that is, uh, well, God's powerful enough uh, to help you there. Um, and I, I think one of the things that uh, wars against uh, our marriage that this, even, this verse presses against is, is idealism. Like idealism is just one of the enemies of uh, our marriages. And we all struggle with it. Uh, for Again, for wives, some of you struggle to submit to your uh, husband because your family or your husband in particular is just not what you hoped he would be or hope what he is in this kind of moment. Um, and, and I think, again, like our, we can't be that flippant about what it looks like for us to be faithful to Jesus. And there, there's, we just grab for comfort. One of the things I always want us to realize is, man, life is hard and then we die. Like, there, there is a, a hardness to life that never goes away. Man, we, there's so much joy to be had in this life. There's so much pleasure. There's so much joy. There's so much fun to be had in this life. But those, especially if you're connected to any amount of people, those are almost always alongside of suffering and hardness. Uh, I, there's very few exclusive moments of joy where there's not even something else that you know about that's going on that's really hard. Um, And so much in marriage is we just want that place to be where none of that is present. And that's an idealism that is going to keep you trapped. Um, And and you have to break free from, and one of the ways to break free from that is to put your hope in God and who he is and what he's doing. That he's come to enter into that hardness, 
He he came not to leave us alone in the hardness, uh, but but he came to save us from it. That that we could actually have real moments of joy in this life and that we could be reconciled to him forever to experience all that creation was meant to be. Part of that idealism is a a reality, or should be a hope and a longing for what God has created this world to be. But we misplace the timing of it. And we think heaven is now and it's just not. Um, and, and it, but it is coming, and, and we should be encouraged by that. Um, again, if you just look at the, the families of the Old Testament, this should <laughs> shatter any idealistic view of family. Uh, we should find great encouragement that God uses some really jacked up dysfunctional family situations to accomplish the plan of his plan of redemption. And now obviously we don't want to follow their sinful decisions, but we also don't want to hold this oppressive ideal over our family. Both rebellion and idealism are different forms of selfishness that will just ruin uh, our marriages. Um, we can look to Christ as all-sufficient, and you'll be more empowered to humbly submit and humbly lead as husbands through the highs and lows of life. And so we have to put our hope in God if we long to submit. And then lastly, we see uh, as verse 6 continued, there's s- submission can flow out of a fearlessness. And you are her children— if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And that's a weird wording, um, but Peter's actually offering comfort and he's doing two things. He's, he's exhorting us. So like one of the common refrains of the Bible is don't, do not fear. Um, and we don't fear because again, we hope and put our, our trust in God. But, but Peter is, is talking to someone, um, like if, if you are a, a, uh, a wife in a marriage that married to a non-believer, Man, what a, uh, you should feel incredibly seen and known by the God of the universe. Like these are six verses that are written to you. Um, and he's writing to people in that kind of situation that it could be a fearful situation. Uh, like they're not sure, they're hoping they're going to be able to live a quiet, gentle life before their husband and that God would use that to, to save this person. But it could go the opposite direction. And Peter is saying, don't fear. You can put your trust and put your hope in God. And even as he uses Sarah as that example and the different ways that God continued to protect, continues to sustain, and continue to provide in really fearful situations. Um, and that's what he is exhorting um, uh, wives to as they submit to their husbands. Um, and I think even as we think about fear, a common response to fear is just simply to grab for control. Um, and, and that's just one, much of our problems in life are about creative yet sinful uh, grabs for control. The wife wants to control the husband. The husband wants to control the wife. And God has given us an order in marriage in which the wife lets go of control by submitting to her husband. And the husband lets go of control by sacrificing for his wife. And so God has all control. Um, and, and much of our fear um, and a fear of what happened has us responding to grab for control because we, we want to ensure what we feel like God's not going to ensure. We can blame that on our husband or spouse all day, but it's, it's God that we are not uh, trusting. And so the exhortation to, to fear God is saying, you can submit to your husband as to me and trust that I will continue to protect and provide for you. Um, so obviously the, the nearest example I have of this is mine and Ginger's uh, relationship and uh, you know a, a handful of because just thinking about what this has looked like in our life and there was a few uh, examples again so because we're not always talking about submitting and leadership uh, I'll, I'll learn to talk about it in German now just to help uh, but uh, we're not talking about that a lot so we were just like hey, what, what does this look like and uh, in our lives and, and Ginger brought up a, a few examples um, one uh, even just moving into this house now uh, a while back we lived in a, another house and I was ready to move that stuff was really hard uh, for Ginger and she was like you know what I, I'm, I'm just willing to trust you here I'm ready uh, I believe that the Lord will just lead you in, in what is best for uh, our family and the Lord has protected and provided uh, in that way um, another example is even Ginger uh, Many years ago now, when we felt led to uh, her stay home, and we'll quit her full-time job at that point. Uh, she works part-time now. But uh, when we were feeling led to so cut her income in half and for her to stay home, um, that was one of the things that I was ready for and leading us towards before she was ready. 
Um, and then even when she agreed, there was one of those like living with your wife in an understanding way that we'll get to is like, you know, we would talk about it. We'd agreed to it, but I'd go and talk to her about it. I'm like, you know what? This is not a good time to talk about this. So I'll, I'll come back uh, another, another month. Like she was, there was just a, a struggle in her uh, in, in many ways. And that was one of the ways that God, she did submit and the Lord moved uh, in that. Um, and, uh, the, uh, and then the uh, you know, last kind of practical way this has worked out is even just starting to have kids. I was, much, I was ready uh, before she was. And so uh, in marriage uh, earlier on, um, she, that was one of the ways she's like, you know what, I'm just going to submit to your leadership in that. Remember the fun part of marriage I talked about earlier? Um, and so, uh, sorry, that was maybe <laughs> inappropriate. But, um, and so, but she, you know, was like, okay, let's, let's start trying to uh, have kids. And so I think there's situations like that, that, that there's those moments. And, and one of the things I think can tend to be unhelpful, that is an example uh, that I often hear used from like people that try to explain away submission in the scriptures, that, that wives aren't supposed to submit to husbands, and then people that do acknowledge that. There's this weird example that maybe someone explained it to me in a way that I find that it is helpful, but I find it actually pretty unhelpful. And it's like the tiebreaker situation. Like basically in one of these situations, you know, like we're just, we just can't come to an agreement, but the wife just like, hey, I, I completely disagree. Uh, I don't wanna do this, but you're the husband. So you get the tiebreaker and we, we're gonna follow your lead. And I just don't understand that. I, I, don't, I don't get that. That's not how life has ever worked for us. I, I would actually encourage it probably not to be a good idea to move forward with that if y'all are in complete disagreement, but there's just kind of this like, okay, I'll just do what you wanna say. As a church planning network that believes in uh, wives submitting to husbands, if the wife is not on board with planning a church, then that husband is not gonna be approved to plan a church. It's not like, oh, well, she'll come along or, oh, you know, no, that's, there's this weird kind of idea. Uh, and so that's more of, to me, a caricature of what leadership and submission looks like, uh, as opposed to the hard work of wives submitting willfully, joyfully uh, to their husband by, by God's grace and, and, and uh, husbands uh, loving and leading their wives in an understanding way that we'll, we'll get to uh, in another uh, week. So we'll cover uh, verse seven uh, in a few weeks, but a quick word to husbands as we close. One, if any of you, any of your response to wives submit to your husbands was, um, well, like, yeah, good, good that you're finally telling her that. And, uh, you know, she's lucky to have me and now we can get this thing sorted and uh, she's going to follow my leadership finally. Um, and here, here's the thing. So obviously, if any of your response is like that, and I say it in that way, partly, I mean, Peter would just say, you're, you're foolish. Um, and uh, he's like, that's, that's a really foolish response. But here's the deal. Here's what I want to confess. I have that foolish man in me. I, I, I do have that response in me. And, and it's that man that I have to continually die to. And, and that man that thinks, man, if she would just submit, this thing would be a lot easier. Um, and I have to die to him uh, and, and look to, to live with her and, and look to her in such a way that understands where she at, where she's at, what's going on, uh, what might be any of the, the struggle she's having if we're, if we're talking about something like that, and realize that it's not about me uh, strong-arming my way into her figuring this out, but it's dying to that reality. And then in that, I actually might be a husband that might be more of a joy to submit to. Now, now the call to her to submit is not contingent on that, uh, Peter is, is saying that clearly, um, but, but as, as husbands, we, we should not be those kinds uh, of men. Um, and the reality is, although we aren't called to submit to our wives, we are called to submit to sacrificing for our wives as Christ did for the church. So there is an order, there is a hierarchy, uh, but there's nobody on that hierarchy that's not called to submit. All of us are called to submit. Um, and, and so sometimes, again, I think the enemy, it sometimes just kind of grabs a hold of women submitting in our culture and focuses on it and jacks us all up there and makes us think all kinds of weird things as opposed to, man, we're all kinds of, we're all submitting to Jesus and trying to figure out what life looks like and following after him and seeking him uh, together. And, and that's what we are called to do uh, as husbands. We are also called to submit. And then I'll, I'll close with this. When reading this passage, we're always tempted to hear more clearly where our spouse isn't doing their part. That's just our tendency. 
Um, and probably the best of us are trying to silence that voice and focus on our own sin. Uh, but maybe let me offer just even a completely different approach. Uh, this, this passage still flows from uh, verses 22 through 25 in chapter 2 that we closed with last week. And so maybe I would encourage you to don't look at your spouse's wrongs. Don't overly focus on your own behavior, but let's look to Christ. 1 Peter 2, 22 through 25. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And as you look to Jesus in this way, the Holy Spirit will grow you and compassion and grace where it's needed. And as you look to your spouse and he'll humble you and humble us together that we might lay down our pride. Let me pray for us in this way. Lord Jesus, what a gift you are. What a gift that uh, you have given us in your word that you call us to live in a particular way and in marriage is a gift. It's one that we have rebelled against at different seasons in our life. Maybe one we've been confused by. Maybe one we've never even really paid attention to. Uh, but it is your gift towards us that we wouldn't be floundering, that we wouldn't be, uh, it wouldn't be unclear, but that you could uh, provide the clarity that we need uh, and trust you to help us. Uh, to apply these principles to our life. And so, Spirit, would you do that? You, you see where we're at. You see uh, the, the inner person of all of us in this moment. Uh, husbands, wives, singles, widowed. Um, you, see, you see it all. You know where there's shame. You know where there's fear. You know where there's struggle. And so would you do the, the miraculous work of taking your word and taking your gospel and applying it as a balm on those areas of our life? Uh, as the bandage that we need to heal, uh, as, as the call that we need to turn from sin and turn to you, uh, as the hope that any of us have in, in brokenness that we've been a part of, that we've suffered under, that we've caused. Uh, you are sufficient for all of those things, and we are not. That's so clear. And so again, we just thank you that you are this. You are a redeemer, our savior, our shepherd. And so we can look to you and trust you as the overseer of our souls. We pray in your name. Amen.